Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. There's a cat over here. There's a cat over there. And the wrong one died. And the wrong one died. Welcome to The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the catastrophe. I'm your host, Mike Abrams, and today we are celebrating Andrew Lloyd Webber. With Phantom of the Opera set to close on Broadway, I'm having a handful of what I'm calling Phantom Cats on the podcast. So today, my guest has been performing in Phantom of the Opera, but before that, he was Bust for Jones, Gus, and Growl Tiger on the U.S. National Tour 5. So welcome, Bronson, Norris Murphy, and thank you for joining me. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you here. I, I'm always excited to have a Gus on the podcast because Gus is the most common non-Grizabella answer. So I'm, I'm hoping you're going to be ready to defend your your honor here for as a jellical choice. Uh, <laughs> yes, listening to the podcast, I was like, I, I'm, I love how many people want Gus to uh, be the one. That's very touching. Yeah, Gus <laughs> is the number one non-Grizabella answer and, and pretty close to... Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the same amount, but let's, let's start with your cat's history from the beginning. So I love hearing, you know, when you first were introduced to the musical, was it a time you saw it on stage? Was it the 1998 movie? Like when was the first time you got introduced to cats? It was definitely the 1998 movie. Um, I owned it on VHS and loved it just because I, I was a kid who was thirsty for theater and I grew up in Kentucky. So uh, our main outlet was sort of Nashville and their road shows that come through the Tennessee Performing Arts Center. Uh, but Cats was not one of the ones that I saw. Uh, I found the VHS, I'm sure, in some you know video store and watched it and loved it because it was actually, it seemed like it was filmed on stage. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I loved watching about movie musicals, the ones that looked like they were filmed on stage, like in a proscenium house. Uh, so I loved it. But um, I would think like, like of the singers, uh, you know, the non-dancing tracks that you've interviewed, I never thought Cats would be a musical for me uh, just because I, I I wasn't a dancer and it looked so athletic with Jilly's choreography. And um, it, it wasn't until I was old that someone said, I was I was doing a production of Candide at NYU and I'd seen, I had seen this movie, obviously, and somebody was like... Um, Hey, do you do you have this high note, you know, thing? And I was like, Yeah, that's the same note I'm singing in in the show in Candide. And the director, the choreographer of Candide was about to direct Cats um, at the West Virginia Public Theater. And she said, Well, I'm really looking for uh, the opera cat. And I said, Isn't that the one who has ballsy and is all old and stuff? She said, Yeah, but you're an actor, you know. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, I'll audition for it. And bless her heart, she put me in the show. And I played Gus at the age of 23 um, and learned all the original. We had six days, six days to learn that entire show with a brand new company um, from top to tail. And we did it and it ran for a week or so. And then I went back to a job uh, performing in a theme park. And and just after that, uh, in my second year of grad school, I saw a national, the national tour auditions. And at that point it was non-union and they were kind of accepting any and all ages um, audition. And I, I felt like a dancer for the first time in my life because I went into the dance audition having already known the original choreography. So it was sort of already in my body. Um, and so I auditioned for that tour 
there in my second year of grad school. But yeah, it all started with that 98, that beautiful 98 version. I, I love hearing you say that because it is, you're completely spot on with the everyone I've interviewed. It's the Gustas and the Grizabellas and a couple where you're, you're, you're singers more than dancers. You know, it's like it's, because I, I, I think you, you know, clearly you're, you're all talented enough to do, to do both. Um, but, you know, you, you start <laughs> with the, here's more of my forte. Here's what I'm kind of more, more pursuing and known for and so the dancers all look at the 1998 movie and it's like they learned it as a kid growing up it's choreography that they were taught it's like their their bible almost and then singers don't think about it at all and then all of a sudden realize wow i do have a part in this i could have a part in this so it's, it's so fascinating to hear you you kind of reference that i am a little blown away that you did it at gus you know again an, an older cat at 23 but also that you learned to show in six days so let's let's start there with when you learn the show in six days how deep do they go into character versus just here's your dance number here's your staging here's your singing like here's here's how we get through the show so we don't hurt somebody like cats versus here's what you need to know to be in in like be gus for the show and really and mustafer and and ground tiger and all these other characters you play Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a lot more of the forest. It's uh, here are the steps. Let's get the steps down. Let's get our spacing down. Let's be careful with all these lips and these tumbling passes. And then once you know hit day three or day four, when you're nearing a designer run, uh, then they start talking about relationships and and some of those nuggets will come up within the rehearsal process. And admittedly, um, uh, several people. Uh, that were in the production that I did, the first production I did at, at that regional theater, had done some version of Cats before. So we had the slight advantage, and we were using all of Jilly's original choreography. So we had some advantage that some of the dancers knew the steps. Mm. But I, I wanted, I mean, it was definitely my first time. It, the Griddle Bone, it was her first time for sure, the person that I dealt with the most. And I believe the Grizabella was a first. Uh, so it was sort of like osmosis, like you would watch two cats of a, a, a necking or licking thing, you know, like a, like cats do. And and then you'd be like, oh, I, I should be doing more of that. Uh, so, you know, you just inhabit that. And I think in the first rehearsal, like the get to know you circle, we started doing some felinity. So we were all, you know, pawing each other and stuff. Uh, but it's definitely the more down and dirty version as opposed to rehearsing the tour uh, where we just really dove in and went learn the steps first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that is like, I, I've talked to a few people who've only done regional productions, you know, and they're, they're on Broadway and have mm-hmm. done plenty of other things. And it's like, yeah, just, just get through it almost like here's, you know, we don't need to know what Gus's performances were back in his youth. Like we don't need to know <laughs> what, what bus for Jones when he's not eating what he's doing or where Grizabella went when she left. And like all these other nuances that are what make cats kind of, almost in, you know super interesting in the fact that there is all these backstories so it's it's more of just like let's get through this and and how long did that that production run was it you said you, you rehearsed for a week but how long did you go on that regional production i i think the entirety of the contract was maybe two weeks or two and a half two weeks and a half so week. I, yeah i think we've rehearsed a week and performed a week and you know that you make an interesting point about all the backstories i mean really it's it, i guess it's no one else's business is it 
like uh, where Grizabella went or what Gus does when he's not haunting, you know, these restaurants. And that's more the actor's homework. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting point that like you can do that sitting in your hotel room when you're in the ensemble. It's about supporting your other cast and, and making sure you, you know, your spacing, your blocking and your choreography and you can build your character at home. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about the, the regional versus tour versus Broadway versus West End, you know, and all the, like, depending on how long the run is in a show like this. And this is really why this podcast still exists, you know, a hundred episodes later is that there is such, um, ambiguity around the stories and the backstories and really the plot, even though the plot is overly simple, there is so much to be filled in, um, that you could, that you can add. And so, you know, when you're to your point, you're doing a regional production, you're doing six days for, for, 14 days, you know, like you're, you're, you're doing the rehearsal to, to be able to get through the two and a half hours to, you know, almost three hours of show safely. Cause it's a very dangerous dancing show. You know, there's a lot of injuries, but you're probably less mm-hmm. thinking about all those backstories. Whereas when you start doing it for years at a time on tour months at a time, you have to kind of create a little bit more probably to get through it. Um, with, with that level of detail that you would need. And that's, that is a very, difference and unique interesting piece in a show again like this where you you your interactions with the other cats are half of what makes the show go because you know there's so much dancing and and other parts that aren't clearly stated as plot like you know like other shows you see on broadway yeah and and you've you've hit the nail on the head there because as as an actor in the show those interests with your tribe and with your your cats that you like and cats that your cat doesn't like and that's the only thing that keeps you going on a long run because you know the grease paint the unitard and the steps or what the audience likes and your your interpersonal relationships on stage are the only thing you can act on to keep to keep the show motivated for you so that's hugely important in a long run especially yeah so you're you know you mentioned you're from Kentucky I'm from Indiana we don't get all that many shows that run through here. We get, you know, we get a, a good amount and we've got some local stuff. Uh, when was the first time you actually saw, like as an audience member saw it? Was it, you know, you, after the regional production, uh, you know, you've, you've obviously been as an audience as part of the cast, but did you ever see it as a general fan? Uh, you know, I never did. The first time I saw a live production of cats um, was so I had done the West Virginia and I got the tour and I was supposed to start the tour um, in 2010, but in 2009, they were having some difficulties. Uh, I think they had, they had lost their gust to an injury and the understudy was sick. So they called me and they said, Hey, I'm not coming until next year, but can you fly in and, and help us until people get well? And I was young and naive and had no idea what I was looking at. And I was like, yeah, sure. So, I got put on a plane to Canada. I'd never been out of the country. Uh, I got put on a plane to Canada and I was being kind of rushed in to meet the tour that was already in progress. And my first night getting there to start learning the show, um, I was asked to watch the show and it was in a huge arena. I mean, this the stage looked like a post-it note, you know, on in this huge arena. And I was in the back of the house, you know, and I was living. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. But that was the first time I ever saw Cats was when I was, you know, the next day was going to be on stage doing um, Gus 
we that first time I did it because I couldn't learn it fast enough. I only did Bustifer and I only did Gus. They cut the opera for Growl Tiger okay. because I hadn't had time to learn it. Uh, so, uh, gosh, I'm getting into too many stories. But uh, so to answer your question, the first time I saw it was when I was an employee, but also a fan. Yeah. So let's get into it. I love hearing a little bit about the transition to the tour because you had played this track with the same choreography, I think, right? Probably was the same production version so you had one day like how much time like what was that that introduction into the tour like right so uh <laughs> one one story i definitely remember is getting off the plane and getting into a cab and the 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 cabbie asked me or credit what i was going to use to pay and uh and I foolishly had, you know, American dollars with me. And he was talking about loonies and tooties. And I was like, oh, my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? I want to go home. Uh, but anyway, I paid the cabbie. I got I got to the hotel. They checked me in. I went to the venue. And you're right. It was it was the same uh, choreography. But, of course, the staging was different. Like I, uh, the placement of all the singers and actors, you know. So it was it was as if I was learning a brand new show when I happened to know a certain eight count or two. I knew all the words, thank goodness, um, which is why the next night they were able to put me in the Gus, I mean, the Bustifer number and then just Gus the theater cat. Um, but so, so, yeah, I rehearsed, I rehearsed it. Uh, I watched the show the next morning. We were in rehearsals with the dance captain. Um, and that night they didn't know what to do because everybody was sick, you know, in that, in that Gus department. And again, young and eager, I was like, I think I can do it. I think I could do it tonight. You know, so. So one day, I, <laughs> one day of, yeah, of, yeah. Tra- of, of practice, what? I guess, and new staging, new everything. And you went on and um, I, I yes. the and audience I knows no different. Well, we hope yeah. not. I, I do remember, uh, I, I, you know, Bustopher has to sit on that giant top hat. And I remember doing the rocking back and forth and falling backwards so far that the ever else it was literally had to put me back on the hat. So it was things that I should have worked out in a tech rehearsal or something that, that I didn't know. Uh, but, but we got through it and the tour didn't close. <laughs> so that was good. That is, um, you know, it's, it's, this happened years ago, but it kind of sounds a little bit more like current where, you know, there's all the, the illnesses and there's swings and everybody coming on and, and to keep the, you know, it's the true definition of the show must go on. Of, of being able to kind of go in with one day. So I, oh, I yeah. want to go back to when you're getting only one day, you're just doing the dance in the morning with the dance captain. Like, did you go back to your notes from the regional theater to like, or did they tell you anything about what you're supposed to be thinking as Gus and Bustifer? Or did that like slowly trickle on as you went on more times through that tour? Definitely, uh, it trickled on. The first time, it was basically like, you're going to enter from right yeah. one, you're going to cross in here, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, and get off the stage. Like It was very much, let's keep the show going. Uh, but then as I continued, I was only with the 2009 tour for two weeks, because I had to get back to a production, another production I was doing. I'm not of Cats, but another show. So again, I rehearsed you know, a day for that and then i think the next day we learned the opera so eventually i got into the whole track but i was only with them for two weeks and then i flew back to the states or, or no i think we ended in vegas or i ended in vegas so i just flew home wow uh so i was with them for a very short time so i didn't really get to sink my teeth in until 2010 when i did the role full time on the tour 
Yeah. So so let's go let's go back to that now. So now this is your third Buscus like time. How much <laughs> prep did you get for that? Like did you did you go through the, a little bit more of a normal rehearsal and oh, yeah. and audition and everything to get through that? Well, thankfully, uh, I didn't have to audition again because the only reason I went out in '09 was because I'd already auditioned and, and been offered the 2010 tour. Yep. Okay. Uh, so I didn't have to audition again, but I did get the full experience where it was held over from the 2009 version. We all went into 2010 sort of with a blank slate. So we had a lot of newbies and a lot of old cats. Uh, so we all got to you know experience Felinity together and we got to form our own tribe and we talked a lot more about character and relationships because I think we rehearsed that for two weeks in a studio, just rehearsals in the studio, what a blessing. Two weeks. And then we went out to the road and teched it, you know, for another week. And then we had previews and then we ran. So um that was a lot more informed process. And also the the first time I felt like I was really doing cats, like not to take anything away from the first regional production I did, but when you get to marry into something and when you're using the iconic, you know, set, um, you really feel like you've sort of stepped into the junkyard <laughs> and, uh, and, and are doing the thing that you saw as a kid in that 98 VHS. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to dig into a couple of, of, of those of that like rehearsal and that process for you because I I want to know what you were told as the the backstories of the cats so what do you remember of the here's what I'm supposed to know about Gus and Bustifer like here's what the relationships I'm supposed <laughs> to play like what what of that do you remember oh gosh <laughs> uh well, I don't know if I I don't know if I remember this from the from the rehearsals or if I'm just inferring from the poetry, but you know, I remember Bustopher being so he he he's an eater. He likes to eat and likes to be social and he's very well dressed. Uh so I I guess I assume or I know that he's a house cat. I don't think he's a stray because he's you know, eats plenty. Uh that's something I didn't know until through the the long tour was the cats who are wearing collars are house cats and the cats who aren't are wearing strays. And like, what dynamic does that play? Like what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know? Um, so uh, I think, I think Bustopher is, you know, hoity toity and everybody admires him because he's so different from any, he doesn't belong to the tribe. He's sort of a visitor that everybody look. He's like your, your jolly old uncle that everybody's happy to see once a year. Um, so remember he was, he was a, a man of gluttony and and decadence and he liked having things a certain way and he's very poised loved his mustache and his monocle um yeah he was he was an interesting one and the, the costume i mean the costume of that character was so fun to put mm -hmm. on and play especially i'm a i'm a i'm not a slighter than you might think of a person being and much younger at the time for a Gus or a Bustopher. So it was really fun to play outside of my physical self too. You know, you put this garment on with hula hoops yeah. <laughs> and you're four times your size. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, and um, you get to go back and, and forth with that too because you get to go from being this big, old, jolly cat that's kind of no cares in the world to this kind of frail, older, yes. like, um, you know, former former celebrity actor so you get to kind of do both physical oh. types of that they're almost polar opposites of each other 
Well, yeah, and then you throw in the third version, which is Grub Tiger, and he's you know a muscle man and and evil and he's a pirate and you know it it, it was a true like triple triple whammy there. You you there were no, there's really nothing similar about any of those three cats mm -hmm. and it was a joy to play the, the things mm -hmm. uh it was a challenge too and the costumes obviously helped a lot but i think of the three you know i mean gus is so tender and is so full of happy memories and is so kind of willful to do do his art again that i i definitely would um love to play gus you know again and 20 years yeah uh, because i think he's just so so sweet and that song is so beautiful and it's a true moment of sincerity at the top of that too that the audience i think the kids get bored with and the the adults are like oh i see i know you i'm father that's my you know great uncle they relate Lo i absolutely love it i i want to talk a little bit about gus's story so who like how do you every night like you're going on to be ideally make your case as like, it's very much that Gus is in the running and a, a very high potential choice. How much did you think about that in your interactions with Vla and everybody else to kind of make this, you know, basically to act the part of that you're, you're going to be passed over again, or, you know, or do you even view that you're an option for old dude around me to pick? You know, I, when I played Gus, I based him on my lovely uh, grandfather. And I think my grandfather, if he knew it was, you know, selection time, he would have he would have wanted it to be anyone but him. Mm. He would have wanted the gift to be given on, right? He wouldn't have been selfish. He wouldn't have uh, asked for it. Um, so I didn't let play into Gus's story. Gus was just there and being reminded of his, being prompted to tell his story by, by Jelly Lorem. And, you know, he's a little timid at first, but then just like when the juices flow and when the conversation goes and the memories flood back, it gets more and more exuberant. So I don't think, in my version of Gus was certainly not that he was auditioning to be the winner, right? Uh, but, but that he was there to be the tribe and then his, not course, that's a strong word, um, you know, being asked to remind us all of his days in the spotlight. And then he just gets to have a lot of fun with that. But I, I don't think I ever cared uh, that I might be chosen. I wanted the right person that, that Dute wanted to be chosen. Mm. That's so wholesome. <laughs> it's so like very, <laughs> very thoughtful of the, and I think there's like, I, I have, I've enjoyed talking to so many different cast members and have played different roles because the show ends definitively the same way every night. And so as much as I jokingly want a different Jellico choice, and that's what this whole podcast is about, that, that's not the way it's going to end um, every night. And so as an actor, you have to, you have to almost like figure out how to, to embrace the the piece of the story that you know and kind of bring that in and so it's cool to hear how you based your gus to to be ready and and accepting and okay that that it isn't going to be the choice um he's not gonna be the choice every night yeah yeah absolutely 
Um, I want to hear what other theories or relationships do you remember outside of Bus for Jones and Gus? Like, what was the thing that you, like, as you, like, as you go back from, you saw the 1998 movie, like, you, you know, you knew the VHS, you had it, you watched it. As a kid, I'm sure none of those relationships you even thought about. And then you do the production for a couple of weeks, you go back on, and then, then you get the full, like, true rehearsal for the tour with all the new cats and everybody you're going, and you really kind of dig in. What was the ones that surprised you of, like, huh, I would have never thought about that. I, you know, th- this is a relationship I I didn't do. And you mentioned one with, like, I didn't know about the collars either for a while. Like, those are those are house cats. Mm-hmm. But what are the other kind of aha moments as an insider from somebody who was, you know, watching it from the outside? Well, I think watching it from the outside, uh, I, one of the first things – you know, that struck me as, are you kidding me? You know, is the whole Demeter backstory. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. who thought of that? And, and why is that important? And I'm so sorry for her, but you know, <laughs> that is uh, shocking to me. And I don't think, unless you're a fan or in the show, I don't think anybody's ever explained that to anyone. Um, that one is, that, that is the, the most bizarre thing that, that was, as I've dug into this again, you know, I didn't, pick that up when I saw it the first I've seen it twice on stage recognized that as a story arc and as I've read and learned I'm like this is how is this one of the only true like it seems to be one of the only things that is definitively known that is it's consistent across everybody I talk to is Demeter's backstory and that is part of why I've always argued I don't think children should, should see the show because I'm like, we only know a couple things. And one of them is that Victoria is is basically having an orgasm on stage, the orgy's a ball, and Demeter's backstory is super dark. Yes. Well, and I think that's, I think that's why it's sort of okay for children to see the show is because we don't slam that storyline in your face. That Again, that's just for the actor to know and for the tribe to know. And for her to have something to physicalize and and know her personal relationships with people, you know, she's scared of most of the men on stage mm-hmm. because of that, you know. And the, yes, you're so right. I, I had forgotten until you mentioned it, but about Victoria and she's the white cat, so she's the purest and she's untouched until you know the ball. Um, and I love the sisterhood between either girl would have to tell you something, but uh, Bob and Demeter, mm-hmm. you know, they're sort of like their sisterhood or, or Bob being sort of a, a sexual troublemaker and always, you know, leading with her hips and Tugger just wanting to be with every cat on stage, no matter who you are, you know? Um, and I, I also loved the relationship between uh, Jelly Lorem and Gus because, you know, the backstory of Jelly Lorem is that she's sort of Gus's caretaker. And in the, you know, in the original version uh, that we toured with, it would make sense that in his memory, you know, he would replace his soprano opera star with the person he knows or loves best, which would be Jelly Lorem. Mm-hmm. So, so the actors playing Jelly and Gus become Growl Tiger and Griddlebone. So, I mean, it's really, it's just chocked full of relationships that the audience may never know, but they are constantly aware of because of the behavior of the actors on stage. Mm-hmm. That's my. I've been joking that that's my my goal is to document as much of it as I can, uh, and that's that's what this podcast has turned into is is getting all yeah. of this in every production in every country and every um, you know over the years the the most recent choreography kind of almost doesn't change by any means like relationships but 
loosely could change some because now people are staged differently and people are the actors are dancing slightly different. And so now there's a different interpretation because Lyft's Victoria has changed in the choreography over the years and stuff like that. And so now you start debating what mm-hmm. does that mean? And that's become a, a, a unique piece to this. Yeah, absolutely. Because all we have is, uh, you know, in my opinion, a sensational score by Andrew Lloyd Webber and some great poetry by T.S. Eliot and the original direction by Trevor Nunn and Jilly. And uh, I mean, we have framework, right? And if you saw it, when you see this thing on paper, you're like, this will never work. Yeah. I'm sure in the 80s they were like, what, how much of what do we have to smoke to make this work? And they, they did it. Like, they did it. And it's, I mean, we, we are still talking about this show and it is still running. And it is, it's like, it's, it's a masterwork <laughs> because of this synthesis of score and design and direction and choreography. And I think what when you stray away from that when people direct and design their own versions of it they realize how hard it is to make sense of this completely i mean there is the the fan wikipedia page which is where i kind of dug deep when i started this podcast <laughs> has almost has over 5000 pages of sub pages uh, i don't doubt it of like <laughs> every production every person every character every potential headcanon like there's just theory after theory after theory and it could i i could expand the wikipedia page if i had more time i've i've answered a handful of them um of these of these questions and theories by by talking to the cast members that were involved but i mean it's grown since when i started i remember when i i I have it documented because in my one of my first episodes i i kind of commented on how many pages there were and there are more now um like significantly more so it is a show that's been Mm. running for so long and in so many different countries and on tour in the u.s currently and i think it's in vienna currently and it's on royal caribbean cruise currently and it's still uh, a lot of places and doesn't seem like it's gonna lose steam anytime soon right it's unlike anything else you can offer an audience so when people have the chance to produce it, I think there's an Asian tour of it right uh, in rehearsal right now. Yes. You know, I think people are like, well, if we can get the rights and we can produce it, you know, let's do it because audiences flock to it. And and while you're mentioning them, a huge shout out to the fans of Cats because they are they are the center of why the show still exists. You know, I, I had never experienced what, what having fans would be like until I joined the tour. And, you know, not necessarily fans of me, but fans of the show. And it was unbelievable the amount of love and appreciation and insight and, and joy that we would receive, that we would meet at the stage door of each city and things. So huge shout out if you're listening to the fans of Cats, because they are they are what keeps the show going, really. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a show that's touched a lot of people in many different ways. Um, throughout years of history so it's been it's it's cool to see and there's still you know the junkyard is a great great group of people that that um are are huge fans there was some tumblr pages and a lot of like fun there's great a great um cosplay group there's people that put on really amazing Mm -hmm. um cats like cosplay and so it's it's a a very powerful fan base and and super fun and also a very like welcoming fan base of of people I love to hear that. I really do. We'll be back after this short break. 
With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. So speaking of long running and going on for a long time with a, a huge group of fans, let's let's pivot to Phantom. Um, oh, because yes. I, I think, you know, it's this is going to be released right around the end of the Broadway run. Um, but I want to hear a little bit from okay. you about what that experience is like and, and really the parallels between. I mean, there's such different shows with it, but they're both individual yeah. rubber shows and they have some similarities. What was that experience like being able to to pivot from Cats to Phantom, which again, like couldn't be more different in some capacities and also fairly similar in some capacities? Right. Uh, it doing Phantom of the Opera, it has been the honor of my career because, uh, you know, we mentioned the dancers sort of idolizing cats VHS. And I was a singer who idolized the Phantom double cassette. Uh, I love the show. And I, I would jokingly tell my friends, you know, I, I didn't start out wanting to be an actor. I started out wanting to be a music teacher and went to New York to do, you know, my master's degree. And I was like, oh, I really like singing and acting and all this. And I was, if I ever was to end up on Broadway, the only show I would ever be able to be in because of what I do is Phantom, you know? And I was saying that in 2000, uh, all my life, but once I moved to New York in 2008, sort of, I mean, jokingly, because who could ever even wish enough to join your favorite show on Broadway? But all that aside, uh, when I finished the Cats tour in 2010, I stayed involved with Cats. I actually did a production in the round uh, at North Shore Music Theater just after playing the same tracks, uh, Gus Grell, Tiger, and Bustopher. Uh And the common the common link between all, most all of Andrew's shows is a lovely woman named Kristen Blodgett, who yeah. I'm sure you've heard yes. of through these interviews because of course. she literally changes lives <laughs> every day of her life. And she's another person who's just so filled with love and joy and um, a pleasure, just an absolute pleasure to work with. So she she was auditioning me for a production, uh, a national tour of Evita. And at the same time, I didn't know this, but there was an opening uh, for a swing position in the Broadway company of Phantom. So I was in a callback. I don't know how many callbacks I had for Evita, too many. Um, but I was in there and she was like, could you sing your own song again? She put me on her phone. She recorded me. And what I didn't know is she sent that to the folks that made casting decisions for Phantom. And so when I got an offer, you know, my agent was like, hey, you got it or whatever he said. You know, I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to go do a Vita. I'm so excited. He's like, no, 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 you got Phantom on Broadway. And I was like, uh, I, what? I didn't audition for that. <laughs> you know? But I, I was in, a, in like a basement restaurant in Times Square taking this phone call. And people, I'm sure people were looking at me like I was I was having a fit. I was so excited uh, to, to, to even be considered to be a part of that show. So, yes, yeah, so I started Phantom in 2014, and you're right. They couldn't be more dissimilar, except for the glory of the score of both, you know. Um, but, yeah, I've been with Phantom since 2014. Wow. And I, I just uh, finished a run uh, like two Sundays ago before I had to jump up to Massachusetts for another show. But uh, 
long answer shortened, it's an honor. It's an honor to be a part of this production. I, I love you. Just get, I think we're, we're getting a peek into how the Andrew Lloyd Webber universe works because I've, you know, this is, <laughs> as I've done this, you know, what I've been calling the Phantom Cats uh, interviews, I have noticed a, a theme here, which is most of you did not audition for Phantom. And you were auditioning for other <laughs> Android Weber things like Cats or Evita and everything else, and then ended up in Phantom. And so I'm wondering how much has happened in the yeah. reverse, where people are auditioning for Phantom on Broadway and then all of a sudden end up on, in Cats or in Evita or in, you know other ones of his shows. It seems like it's well, the same you know it's the same group of people working in casting stuff. So it makes sense, but it's it's absolutely. fascinating to hear that because I I never really thought about that again as someone who's not in the industry and has never been to an audition or you know even thought about an audition to hear so many of the like, oh, this is, I know you, you tried out for this, but you'd be perfect for this. And well, that's also us. So here you go. And we're going to pass you over. Yeah, I think it happens. I think it happens more often than you might think. And I think it's, well, I think the main thread in that is Kristen mm -hmm. Blodgett, but also um, not all, but a lot of Andrew's shows, I've been able to do five of his shows in New York. Uh, and, and all five of my experiences, I can solely rest on Kristen Blodgett's hands. Um, but they all, they generally use a, the same casting office and, uh, and the really useful group, Andrew's production company, uh, you know, is obviously has a heavy hand in all of his work. So I think, you know, why not? If you're, if you're singing the Avita score and you're doing a good job, what makes you think you're not right for a certain opening in this other show? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do think it's a bit incestuous and thank God it is, or I may never have worked yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does. It, it It's a, a good place to be in because it's, you know, he's got so many shows and stuff on Broadway. He's got new stuff on Broadway um, coming out. So it is a, a good, a good group to be in with. Yes. And he is, I mean, I've met him a couple of times um, not to just jump stories on you, but, when I was doing the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, we did the American premiere of Love Never Dies, and it was a tour. And I opened that show as the Phantom, and he was in sort of our, we did sort of a tech run, really just for him, before we started previews. And, you know, they say never meet your idols, because they'll always disappoint yeah. you. He was quite the opposite. He was the most, I mean, he he's not, with me anyways, you know, we have a multi-billion dollar production on the line here and so he's got a lot to think about <clears throat> but Kristen made sure that i was introduced to him uh i guess she thought that would calm my nerves a bit yeah. <laughs> um, which ultimately it, it did but he was while he wasn't verbose he was so kind and so generous and so supportive he said you know uh i know you can do this you know i know this is this is the thing for you i can't wait to hear you sing my music and he he really was a genuinely kind person and with someone of such uh, sort of star quality <laughs> as he has, celebrity, uh, I, I didn't expect that. I expected him to be rather cold and just like, get it right. You know, he wasn't. It was He was so warm and so loving. And um, yeah, I would work for him and for Kristen for the rest of my life if they'll have Yeah, <laughs> that's great to hear, too, because, you know, you always, there's the, when you have somebody that, that famous that big you know there's always the worry of being a little out of touch and and again like you said cold and so it's so great to hear that that 
it's not like it's it's not lost in him. He's still very warm and accepting and, and a, a good person. He ignores all of my messages, yes. so I'm still waiting for the day <laughs> for him to respond to me, and I can have that same experience. Oh. But uh, no, he's I, I I'm like I, I love hearing that because like you know I I all I get of of him is the the public version of that. Like I get the DJ Andrew Lloyd Webber or the like. Bad Cinderella speaking, Andrew Lewebber, like you get that version. And I actually really appreciated he did during the pandemic, like like early on in the pandemic, he play like he voiced over watching the nineteen ninety-eight movie. And it was kind of fascinating to watch and hear his his commentary on how things went. But also seemed like to your point, seemed very down to earth and very um, you know, just kind of kind of normal for such a creative genius um to be yeah. to be that that type of person so it's always always good to hear that when you hear that about someone as famous as him yes and it's it's so good to work for people like that too as as you know yeah so let's get to the rapid fire i want to get to the the, the last couple of cast questions so we can we can get to the the million dollar question so um if you could go on for one night if you had, you know, immediately could do it, male, female, sing or dance, doesn't matter, but just one track, if you could do it, who would you want to play in Cats for one night? <laughs> Bomb Ballerina. Bomb. It's, because yeah. that, that, that person has to be a fantastic dancer, but also has to be able to sing for the gods. And, you know, when you can find a real triple threat like that, that's who I want to be. <laughs> yeah. It's such a fun answer because there's, there's so many different ways to approach it. And Bomb is a very common answer for this just because uh, it's such a is dynamic it? performer. Oh. Well, I, I think it's because it's yeah. – the, the way I've noticed is that people answer this question one of two ways. You either answer it of the like – here's where I really think I could do it and I could go really do it well, or here's somebody that I like would never be me. And I, and I like would love to just go do that for one night. So you get a lot of bombs and tuggers Mm -hmm. because if you're, especially if you're not known to be the super outgoing, like bombastic type of person, it's fun to be like, Oh, I could go do that one night versus if you're the reverse is like if you wanted to be Gus for one night or if you wanted to be old Deuteronomy for one night or Grisabella to belt one night, it's a little bit more of the the inward looking version. So it seems that's been the trend I've noticed mm-hmm. as I've asked that question. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who are your favorite and least favorite cats in the musical? Not not people, not actors, <laughs> but character. Right, right, right. Oh, goodness gracious. My least favorite? Well, I guess if I was in the Gus mentality any of the young kittens are very annoying because yeah. they just don't stop moving. Um, so, you know, they don't honor the way theater used to be. Uh, uh, but I guess my favorites would have to be old dude, you know, as our, as our leader, I have to respect and love him and um, jelly. Jelly Lorem. Uh, yeah. As, these are very guess answers. I love it. Um, what is your favorite <laughs> song from the show? Uh well, oh goodness, they're all so different. It's like asking you to pick your favorite yeah. kid, isn't it? <laughs> a little um, bit. I love how I love how musically, and I never got to sing it on tour because I was changing clothes. But when I did Andrew's bio musical, uh, there was a show called Unmasked. We highlighted Skimbleshanks, mm-hmm. and I love how often the meter changes in Skimbleshanks. It makes it a real challenge to sing. Uh, I mean, the trite answer, I guess, would be memory, but. I don't think I could listen to that all day, every day, but I think I could bop out to Skimble Shanks. Yeah, it's a great answer. I, I think what's fun about this question is like, I, I'm getting this in the moment today. My answer to this question has changed like multiple times. 
depending on where mm-hmm. like how I'm feeling, where I am. Like when I left the show, it was Mungo Jerry Ripple teasers, all I could remember. Um, Oh, yeah. And then it was, I've, I've had a moment where Skimble Shanks, when someone kind of explained to me more of the musical piece to it and the, the, the time and everything oh. else. I think McCavity's song is super fun. It's the one that gets stuck in my head most. Mm. Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of ways to answer this. That's the thing, too, about how brilliant the score is. Like, it, I guarantee if you polled the audience after a show, you know, at least one person would have every song stuck in their head. Like, you know what I mean? Like, everybody would have a different answer because we all know memory and we go in expecting it, but then you don't know McCavity or, or Mungo and Rum. Mm-hmm. You know, every song is sort of hummable and a crowd pleaser. Yeah. I, I mean, I've asked this to everybody so and I've gotten of- very different answers. There's been a few that have not, not been said, but for the most part, it's like, you know, some people say the ball, some people say the naming of cats and the overture. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not just even the, the cat songs. There's, there's just a lot of really great music in the show. And you mentioning the overture. I mean, it, I need to play the Cats Overture before every show of any title I ever do because that is a hype yeah. song. Like if you're not feeling like doing your, you know, Shakespeare play that night, play the Cats Overture, and I guarantee you, you'll be ready to go. It's so good. I love it. We're gonna add this to like, you know, Cats Overture, and then you know, because I'm as someone who like I'm about to actually go play hockey game here soon and it's like as we get to to that it's like i don't i've never put that in my pump up mix but i'm gonna add it now it's gonna be mixed in with <laughs> like it. eight mile and all this like hip-hop stuff that kind of gets the the blood flowing but i yes. love i'm gonna throw the cats overture into my in my headphones here before my, yes. my game follow it by eye of the tiger yeah. and you won't be stopped <laughs> exactly it's <laughs> eye of the tiger yeah it's it's basically like 80s rock like for me it's early 2000s hip-hop and and now going to be the Cats Overture. Great, which is really '80s pop. Yeah, anyway. that's so true. I think you're you've you've got a you've got a type. This is yeah. This is it'll fit in it'll fit in my playlist well. It won't you know Spotify won't be uh, <laughs> won't be confused. Um, no. which cat? Here's my Phantom Cats question. Which cat do you think would haunt a theater the best? Like if they you know if they had that moment. Oh, oh come on! It's got to be Gus. I, Gus is a great answer for this. I think there's yeah. You, you could yeah. You would never get Gus out of the theater. If you said, hey, do you want to haunt this opera house for the rest of your life? He'd be like, yep, sign me up. I think, I'm there. I think this is where the Gus and Bustifer track together worked, work because I, I think Bustifer is never leaving that box. Hey, that's right. That's right. He, <laughs> you can find Bustifer upstairs at the Masquerade uh, Buffet any day. Yeah. So, okay. Last and most important question. Um, I have argued that I don't think Grizabella is the right Jellicoe choice. Uh, I was was hoping when we started that you were going to defend Gus for us, but it sounds like based on your the way you played it <laughs> that you, Gus is not the Jellicle choice for you. So I want to know, do you want to defend Grizabella and why? And if not, who would be your Jellicle choice and why? <laughs> I wish I could please you and defend Gus, but you know my history with Gus is, as I said, more selfless. And I defend Grizabella. Mainly, I defend Grizabella mainly because I know I'm not smarter than the people who wrote the show, <laughs> including T.S. Eliot. So, like, who am I to, to deflect on, on what they wanted? But I also think, at, in the end, um, Cats is essentially about community and, tr- and tribal nature of, of sticking together. And I think, I think the junkyard has done a disservice to Grizz by ousting her and, and shunning her and not letting her, you know, retain sort of family within the tribe. And in the end, you know, for a catharsis for the audience, 
we need a moment of reclamation. We need an awakening. And that is the reacceptance of Grizz. And since she's the only cat that we outright know, 90% of the cats don't accept, uh, in order to have a beautiful moment for the end of the show, I think she's the right choice. I think we need to reach out a hand and accept our fellow, uh, you know, fellow brethren and, 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 and retain a sense of community. And I think that's what T.S. Eliot was going for. I think that's what Andrew honored. And I think, I think it's the right choice. I, well, I want to start by, by saying, I, I, I love that you're like, yeah, it, I don't want to, I'm not going to try to rewrite a show that's been successful for 40 something years, which I agree. Um, I, I look at this from the angle of the jellical world. And if I'm, if I'm in like, you know, like the, the beauty of cats is, is you've put me into this world. Like that's the whole point. I get to, 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 to dive into this experience and I get to see a little bit of this, this cult like sacrifice and, and ritual for a year. So a lot of my interpretation and, and thought on this is what happens last year? What happens next year? What happens not at the ball? Like I, I only get a glimpse of two mm-hmm. hours of like one evening with this family. Mm-hmm. And so my a, a big part of where I struggle with Grizabella is why is she not next year's choice? Like, I love the community. Bring her back. <laughs> like, why immediately sacrifice her? Like, why can't she spend a year with her family and get a time to to reconnect? And like, yes, let's embrace her. Let's bring her back. And that is the, the message and the lesson. But let's let her have that time. I mean, I, I applaud that insight. And I don't have an answer for yeah. you. <laughs> Maybe we need a cat sequel where, you know, Grizabella somehow it can come back and she's like oh you all made a mistake no uh you know it's a really it's a really interesting interesting thought of you know i've never thought of it i've never put the word sacrifice on it which sort of in my head has a has a different connotation and sort of the ultimate gift i thought you know that they give her is that she can start anew like she doesn't have these afflictions and and torn relationships so you're saying, why can't we accept her, but not send her to the heavy side layer immediately? Yeah, why don't send we her accept next her year. and keep her here? Send her next year. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, that's my mm. current question in theory. And then that opens up a I lot know, of questions just, of like, who then gets picked? What's also the criteria for old Deuteronomy? When's old Deuteronomy's turn? When's Monk taking over? There's a yeah. lot of unanswered question here. And to your point earlier, the only thing that seems definitive is Demeter's backstory. <laughs> yeah, poor Demeter. Yeah, when's it her turn? Oh no, I have a lot to do today, and now all I'm going to be doing is justifying this. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, there's a million ways to examine that answer, and, and the root of the question, if for me, like the way I think, if like if you really want to start thinking about it, is how does Old Deuteronomy make his choice every year? Is it the same criteria every year? Is it different every year? And then when you when you think about that angle what is this year's criteria and choice and what was last year's and what's next year's and what's the year after. And that is to me where you root can start really debating who should go when and why and who went. And then what does that mean? Mm. That's, I mean, that's a really good point. That's a really, and you know, maybe it's like stepping out of the world of actually being a cat and going back to like show world. Wouldn't it be cool to see a production of cats is written like Edward Drood where the audience gets to vote. And they get to pick whichever cat they want. And the show has 27 different endings. So your that, your uh, castmate, Tug, had the exact same comment. No, he didn't. And 
Oh, that's so and I funny. love it because oh it is God. it is and I told him and I believe his will have aired before this, so this will be great. This is the original oh the original joke I made that almost started this podcast was I saw Leona Lewis and I thought I saw the X Factor and I thought that you could vote. And I, I've been joking for, for months now <laughs> that you could do an audience vote and when you're on tour, you could do an audience vote and have a different cat every night. And and have like yes. not take that cat out of the like the show because that'd be really hard to do. But they're they're not a choice tonight. Yeah. So you could you know if you do a week in Kentucky, you could have seven or eight different nights where it's a different choice every night. And that person was last night's choice, so you can't come. It almost sparked people to come see it more often because you're gonna get a slightly so different. That's so true. Ending. I love that. I think I think Tug, who I adore, and you. And me and Andrew should all get together and make this happen. I, I mean, I've got a million ideas if we can if we can make this happen for for how to handle that. And I think you could write like slightly not like dramatic difference in endings because it's still going to have like you still have to sing memory. But then she doesn't have to necessarily go. So then there could be like one more scene where you add in who's then picked and why based on audience vote. And then you still do the it's the addressing of cats at the very end. So like you still have your ending. You don't have to change yeah. your your true ending. So it's it's there. No, it it's just, just a little technology. It just changes Yeah, it just changes who gets to ride the tire and fly away, which let's be honest, every cat on that stage wants yeah, to. Yeah, and I mean we can quickly everyone's got their phone, they're ringing half the time anyways. We could quickly spin up an app to to vote. Yes. Oh. If American Idol can do it, we can do it. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a couple thousand people in a in a stadium. Like it's it would be very easy to do it. Right. Um, and I think it would it would thrive on tour. I think so, and I think you make a very good point about people coming back to see who the choice will be the next night, which any producer will love that. So yeah, you know, you can. I think we have something. You here. could campaign. Like I, I do see this very X Factor American Idol ish. Like we could, you know, you could have signs for people. You know, like here's my vote today. Yes. Try to convince the audience, people around you, that like today's Gus's day. Gus should have went yesterday, and Gus yes. didn't go. Think of the merch you could sell too, in support of your candidate. Yeah, I. I mean, again, this is. I've been thinking about this for for now almost three years, and so I'm 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 just waiting <laughs> for my opportunity to. To do it, I, I, my my actual hope is is I do have a, a friend who's got a, who has their like I think ten year old kid about to potentially do a cat's production, and I'm like maybe that's where I can test it. Let's test it at like a you know oh. some a, a child like a production where the like the parents are voting at the end, which is just going to be every parent voting for themselves for their kids. But like and that, we could get a that's okay. I think that's, we could get a, a trial run there. I think that's a brilliant idea. That way you don't have, you know, multi millions of dollars on the line if it doesn't quite work out. But you know, I think it's more like a, a dinner theater. Like there's plenty of those like I mean, again, Kentucky, Indiana, we have these little dinner theaters where it's mostly local performers and they're always phenomenal. It's always fun to go see them. But like that's a good place we could test it. Like they're not they're not going to have that high of expectations for like, That's like true. of what the, like the production value of it. Cause it's a smaller stage and you know, it's a big, at least the one I went to, it's always a big buffet in the front. Half the people are coming to eat. Yes. Like we could, we could take some liberties. I, I do need blessings from, you know, from the Andrew Weber's group and everyone else. But, oh, yeah. but I think there's legs there and you know, one day he's going to respond to the, my DM and I'm going to, convince him that this is the, the future of theater <laughs> oh my god well i need to make sure that his his team i mean his team has got to know about this podcast i mean it's it's so incredible i i 
I got some friends that work with him that I'm going to push this on. Please, please do. We'll see if we, if we can't get a response to your DM eventually. Yeah, please do. I've, I've done some stuff like um, we did a, a fundraiser for Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS with the uh, the third tour, the 87 cast, and they, they definitely got his approval for some stuff we use. So there's, um, you know, there's been some connection, but I've I've also kind of jokingly, you know, I, I this is parody. I uh, am mesmerized by the work he's done and poke fun at it as a you know purely a, a humorous way um but i i do i do think i've got some some ideas that i can consult here on here are some backstories we could do here's some angles you could play here's some thoughts you could do like I, i've got i've got a lot of knowledge now 100 episodes in of talking to various different cast members i'd say i mean it's i'd say you're the most prepared person for this job on the planet <laughs> except for that i cannot sing i can't dance i have zero theater background I, you know, I, my knowledge is purely the writing and backstories and uh, of this. And, and that is the extent of it, but it's what makes it fun. You know, if, if, if there's one truth in theater, it's, it's never too late. So I'm sure you can, I'm sure whatever you're lacking, you can learn in time. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I would. I, well, I also <laughs> think, you know, this is where I, I just, you know, I need good people around me. I, um, I would just, yes. I just need the right experts in the industry to, to do this because I, don't know a lot about everything else in theater, uh, which is okay. That's not, I grew up mm-hmm. going to sporting events and playing hockey and not the reverse. Like I didn't know about the 1998 movie until 2016. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, you, you oh. learn a lot of stuff at points in your life and that's where, where I'm at today. Good for you. I mean, and here we are talking about here we are. For an hour. Exactly. Well, this has been super <laughs> fun. How can people stay in touch with you? Website, social media. What's the best way to keep up with you? Uh, social media is great. Uh, I'm at Bronson Biz, B-I-Z. Awesome. I'll link everything here. Uh, Bronson, thank you for, for awesome. coming on. This has been so fun uh, and, and a blast to have you on to talk about Cats and Phantom. Thank you. I'm, a, I'm going to put on the Cats Overture right yeah. now. Get pumped up for, for the day. Yes. I love it. Well, thank you, and thanks everyone else for listening to this episode of The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the Cast catastrophe. To follow along, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else to listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The Wrong Cat Died, or check out our website, thewrongcatdied.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.